Welcome back to another hour of Sky Shower. I am Noah. And I'm Jesse. All right, this is uh, episode 111. If you like synchronicity, it's 111. One, one, Straight ones. One. All right, uh, so first off, I want to thank all of our listeners and viewers from YouTube, Rumble, and all the uh, podcast platforms. Um, thank you to all of our subscribers as well. Uh, please like and share. Uh, please like and share, subscribe to our podcast. Um, on YouTube, we're trying to get to 1,000 uh, subscribers. Uh, if you listen to us once, just hit subscribe. You don't have to ever listen to us again <laughs> if you don't like our content. But please help us try to get to 1,000. Uh, that way we can actually open up some other um, so some other features. So that way uh, we can like bookmark different segments of our podcast and, and uh, other things like that. Um, also, please uh, leave some comments down below so that way we can uh, respond to your comments. If you have any suggestions to make our show better, please let us know. We're more than happy to take those in. Uh, and also converse with any of our fans or anybody who likes our show. Uh, and then tonight's lineup. We have the Bunahaban, Bunahaban uh, Tokak Akak. Nailed it. I, I don't even know how to really like Tokakaga. And uh, really, it just means smoky. Two, like the number two in Gaelic. Uh, so there's that. Then we have our shout outs, our restaurant review, which will be of the Olive Branch. It's a brand new restaurant. And then our smart challenge was to listen to uh, some creepy pasta or read some creepy pasta pieces of work. Uh, with that, um, lastly, oh yeah, if you do like our, if you do want to support us uh, down below in the comment area, uh, the very first thing you'll see a link if you want to become a patron member uh you can uh become a patron member for as low as a dollar that helps us uh invest into our show scotch review this week we do have the buna hobbin tokakaga and this is undoubtedly, it's like smoke my pole a second time, right? Like smoke, second smoke, Gaelic. <laughs> Got most of it. Now, this is undoubtedly going to be a dynamite scotch. Another scotch from the Isle of Isla. Dude, that is 46.3% ABV. Bunahaban's got a pretty amazing history. Of course, originally the distillery was founded in 1881, again on the Isle of Isla. Um, and shortly thereafter, they founded a village, the Bunahaban village, literally just to house the workers because they were having problems getting the workers from the distillery to the mainland. Uh, biggest reason for that is up until 1970, 60 all of the transportation to and from the distillery was done by sea vessel it was done by ships that meant that as they needed goods it was brought over by a ship they'd uh, pass over a couple barrels of scotch and make their trade and or travel back and forth by sea so it wasn't until 1960 that a road was finally formed to get the workers and visitors to and from the Bunahaven distillery there on Isla. Uh, 
1979, the classic 12-year single malt was introduced to the world. Now, this comes, there's a, a little break here. We're going to backtrack just a bit. 1881 distillery founded. Uh, they produced some whiskey, some scotches. None of that seems to be around. No real history as far as what exactly that was like as far as bottles or samples and such. But um, they reopen um, and then they close in the 30s. So along with many a distillery, World Wars brought ends to production. And in the 30s, they were closed for a while. Uh, but when they reopened, um, they came out with that 12 year in 1979. Um, and things continued to change. So first they have that first road in 1960. And then in 1993, the last seagoing vessel back and forth between the mainland and Budenhaben Distillery, 1993 was the last voyage. Um, and after that, and that was for the supplies as far as to and from the distillery. After that, it's all been done by the road. Um, 2003, the distillery was purchased by Burn Stewart Distillers. 2006, major rebranding swept the distillery and the designs of their 12-year, 18, and 25-year variants of scotch. When am I going to see some of the 25 on the shelf? Just saying. <laughs> uh, 2010 returned to being produced as a non-chill filtered and no color added scotch. And of course, this one, and I believe most of theirs are 46.3% ABV. They keep it pretty consistent there. Um, 2014, Burn Stewart merged with a Distel. 2017, they had a major package overhaul. Before that, a lot of it was the square boxes. They went to the round tins and the bottles and pictures changed a lot or slightly depending on the particular variety. Um, and then in 2021, they did open their visitor center. And this is where we kick in with distillery tours. All right. Well, first, uh, the uh, the hours are uh, Monday through Sunday, so every day of the week from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Uh, they have uh, three different tours here. They got the Warehouse 9 Distillery Experience. It's their most popular uh, tour that they have. This is an exclusive tasting straight from the cask where you taste four drams that are cask strength, uh, from the cast, it's 1.5 hours. It's approximately 40 Great British pounds or $49. I think that was wrong. I think I missed. I I, I don't think it's $49, but uh, uh, I believe it's a little bit more than $49. Uh, worth it, but it's still <laughs> worth it. Uh, the next one here is um, is the tasting. It's held at the new visitor center overlooking the Bunahaben Bay and the Sound of Isla. Uh, here you get to choose three tastings from their four options of either the 12 year, the 18 year, uh, cask from Warehouse Nine, uh, and then their I'm I'm gonna nail this. This is I'm gonna ter I'm gonna terrible. Uh, fees Elite fees Ali, I don't know. Uh, special release. It's one hour and it can range anywhere from uh, 35 uh, Great British Pounds up to as much as 275 Great British Pounds, which is approximately $43 USD to $341. And then they have a guided tour. The guided tour uh, takes you through the distillery, the malt mill, the mash tun, uh, the washbacks, the steels, and the warehouse. And that's about an hour long, and that is $15 for Great British Pounds or 
or fifteen dollar fifteen Great British pounds and eighteen dollars uh, USD. Uh, so those are the different ones that they have there, and uh, I'm sure, uh, as you know, we've already mentioned it's it is uh, on the island of Isla. It's on the north upper northeast coast. Uh, and you'll find it somewhere right in the middle from like the top of the uh, East Coast to um, the middle point of where Port Ascag is. So like in between those two points, Bunahaban is going to be like roughly right there uh, if you're trying to look on the map. And that, that's that's what I got. All right. Well, a couple good key points he mentioned there. As we have learned, all of these distilleries have their pride and joy when it comes to a water source. And with Bunahaban, it is the Margadal River. And it is their unpeated water source where they get all of the water for all of their varieties of scotch. Um, and it is true, you know, you have Glen Morangi with their water source, their natural spring protected, you know, in basically a, their own little forest or shrine, if you will. Um, and all of these places. But with Bunahaban, it's the Margadal River river and um you know it's interesting because you mentioned it's a uh, you know you got scotland and then you got the islands to the side and on the northeast side of isla you've got bunahaban that's just a, a rock skip and a jump away from jura and some of these other islands we've had scotches from um, and it's very interesting to think about the different weather impacts and the different seasonal impacts that are uh, forced upon these scotches because of that. And when they say Buna Hobbit has a massive warehouse, it is literally a massive warehouse where they house all their scotches. If you see it from the water, you can understand why you couldn't miss it coming towards the shore on a boat. It is a gigantic building. So yeah, like right across uh, the way, the waterway from Buna Bunahaban and that Bunahaban, the Bunahaban Bay area is Island of Jura, right yeah, to the east of them. Literally. And so it's pretty it's pretty dynamic and interesting. Also, I'm wondering, I mean, one of the things I would have to check, and this is just me and my little bit of a scientific mind, is I want to ask them, what the hell kind of paint do you use on this warehouse so that it looks so bright and white all the time? Because uh, yeah, I know you've got the waves in the sea and the brine from the water bashing against the rocks right there. Uh, you're right off the water. What kind of you know painter are you using to keep this looking so great and keep everything protected? Or do they just repaint it once or twice a year? <laughs> Anything's possible, but I would love to know uh, because it is absolutely a weather-stricken piece of land. Land. Yeah, that would be interesting to know. And also, I think the other thing when you're talking about their water, uh, the one thing that they they talked about there is that it was unpeated. So as we know with Isla, there's a lot of peat that's grown there, and so for them to say to bring out or highlight the fact that the the Mogadel River is uh, pure unpeated water, uh, I think that's something like it, it, you. I guess because of all the peat there, you would think that that water might have some of that peat that or pea flavor that might seep into the water or whatever, but apparently it doesn't. And so this kind of gives it like a, a light signature characteristic of the Bunahaban uh, scotch. Who knows what else is in that water? Unlike the Glen Going Distillery, I mean, I'd be worried about their water having goose shit, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> 
But so we're going to go back to Buna, I mean, the Morganal River, unpeated, pure, beautiful water, and a fun can. I do enjoy this canister right off the bat. It is a little bit shorter than the traditional Scotch tin, uh, the round, traditional Scotch round tin, but not far. Uh, but that does allow for a more sound in some ways bottle so we have a shorter bottle as where as well but man it is a good looking bottle i'm digging it yeah i i dig it too i love the coloring that they use with the the gray and the black and the smoke and me and since this is kind of like the uh the younger brother to the original if you will so this has like the extra smoke in it supposedly you had like the little like the gray smoke going up through the canister on there and the bottle itself kind of reminds you of, of a steel. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. So, Tokakaga, you mentioned Gaelic for smoke. Two. Two. Um, number two. So, really, um, as Noah mentioned, a sibling to the regular 12 year, I believe. Because uh, is, it, is it the regular 12 year that they're considering this one a sibling to? I believe so. All right. So here we go. Right off the top, they do have a little emblem with the island of Isla. And I think that that's them emphasizing what part of the island they're on. On the very sturdy foil. Wooden top. Pressed cork. I'll go with that wooden top, though. I mean, they went the extra mile. Digging that. Remember, non-chill filtered, no color added. And, uh, man, already smells outstanding. I love the sailor and the wheel from his seagoing vessel probably very very fitting for back whenever that was designed just because up until the early 1900s they didn't have a road and up until the you know the 1993 they were still using vessels by sea to get supplies to the warehouse you know it's kind of special when your distillery has its own dock <laughs> or it's some real like <laughs> haunted story maybe fitting for uh creepypasta right <laughs> all right cheers cheers the bunahaben uh smoky too i found this to be a, a delightful treat um I really do like the packaging. I love the, the as I mentioned earlier, I love the uh, the color coding on there of like the uh, nice gray up on top with the black and like the smoke kind of going through the middle there. It it kind of reminds me of something more on a classical sense. Uh, and I do like the gold that they utilize with their emblem on there, which is really nice. It's not, uh, you don't have a bunch of wording all over the place on there. And so I find it aesthetically pleasing. The bottle itself, as I mentioned earlier, does remind me of a, of a steel that you would see there at maybe a, at a distillery. And uh, I like the uh, dark colored bottle to help protect the, uh, the scotch itself from any sunlight. And being that they have a wooden top with uh, with a press cork, I still like that as well. So, in both cases, I love I like the presentation overall. 
it's nothing special, so it's not going to go and hit that five spot. But uh, I do like it enough to give it a four because I just like I like the classical look to it. Um, presentation oh, that was presentation the color. So the color here I have is a nice medium light amber gold. Uh, it's really nice and clear to look at. You can see a little bit of particulates in there, but I do enjoy the color and um, uh, and the richness that it does show within this uh, particular scotch. And knowing that it's all like a natural colors, so everything that it's seeping from the charred oaks as well as the uh, sherry casks. I love I love that uh, that thought of that's what's giving it its color. Now on to uh, oh the color I'm giving it a four out of five because I like the color. So now going into the uh, the aroma here with the aroma I had immediately when we first opened it and as we know the longer it's open and the longer it's mm -hmm. exposed to air it does change uh, uh, the not only the palate but also the uh, the aromas of it. But initially when we first poured it and opened it up here. I got an immediately roasted peanuts with uh, some oak, and then also I got uh, some some port. So you got hints of port, oak, and roasted peanuts on, on the aroma there. There is a slight bit of uh, sweetness. I'm not really sure on that nose whether it might be like black currants or uh, if it's just coming from the sherry cask there or... Um, but also, when I do uh, put it in my hands and I warm it up in my hands and smell it, that's where I really get the heavy uh, or more noticeable peat and oak essence of the aroma. So here, I was pretty pleased with that. I gave it a 26 out of 30 on the aroma. As for the palate, um, the first thing that hits me is the, uh, is the peat with some sultana. Uh, giving that so you go from pea, you get immediately get pea, and then you get the sweetness from like uh, sultanas uh, and then cinnamon, and then as that sweet cinnamon flavor with the hint of peat passes through to, into the mid palate, going uh, uh, in the mid palate into the finish, the back part of my mid, I'm getting dark chocolate with sea salt, and this sets up for a great finish because on my finish. It becomes nice and dry mm -hmm. with barley and pepper and oak. And it has a nice lingering finish there. And honestly, after that all dissipates, it's almost like I get another hint of dark chocolate, which I do enjoy dark chocolate. And so the palette, I gave it a 27. And that's probably my biggest high point here on this one. Followed by the finish, which I gave a 26. Gives me a grand total of 87. All right. Well, we didn't tie this time, but pretty damn close. So much like for yourself, this is a great scotch. Love the tin. Love the bottle. And both of these make me, just looking at them, makes me think of... Man, uh, reading a classic novel, uh, a story that's supposed to take place in the late 1800s or uh, the early 1900s, uh, a great uh, book um, where this is the kind of scotch, the look, the feel, the presentation 
I'd be expecting them to pull out of a cabinet and pour a dram of to share with one of the one another. And uh, great expectations is like a prime example when Pip finally meets his benefactor and they're sharing a dram of scotch. This is the kind of scotch I envisioned him before drinking this, before ever drinking this. Um, this is the kind of bottle I envisioned him pulling out. I didn't envision him pulling out one of these sexier limited editions. It was something that seemed so simple yet still complex enough, still respectable enough that it had a namesake and i love the state the sailor on the front so for the bunahabin tokakaba <laughs> two smokes i think that means we have two cigars afterwards one light one not um, but with that uh, presentation a solid four and really it, the truth of the matter is for myself and it sounds like for you as well to get to that five there's got to be a sex appeal with that packaging or bottle it's just the next level so uh four out of five for the presentation uh i'm right there with you with the color i love that it is all natural color this this looks like a sun-kissed blonde. I love it. Four out of five again. Now you get to that nose. And the nose is good on this scotch. It's not its biggest selling point. Um, for me, it was the palette as well. Um, so for me, on the nose, it really starts... And it's interesting because you mentioned roasted peanuts. I... I think that's probably the same smell I'm smelling, but there's something, and I, I believe it's the brine, and a sweetness in there that is making me think of peanut brittle in particular. And that peanut brittle, uh, there's that sweetie, like almost malty, barley, uh, briny peat that then is produced. And for me, man, you can tell the influence. They used ex-bourbon and ex-sherry casks for this scotch. You can tell the influence on the nose of the ex-sherry casks as, as the nose really finishes with a sweet sherry cinnamon hint. The palate, though, man, for me, this scotch is all about the palate. Mm. Immediately. Brine followed by peat. Um, you mentioned the chocolate. I get that cocoa as well. It is brine, peat, cocoa, um, and then the cinnamon and malt. And what's interesting is none of that peanut brittle from the nose transfers over to the front of the palate. However, as we transition from the palate to the finish, uh, which I do believe is pretty robust. I don't know that it's super long, but it's not short. It's medium long, if you will. Uh, you again get the hints of a cask, but now it's no longer the sweet cask. You mentioned it goes dry. The bourbon cask to me absolutely shows its face here. Um, you get that barley, the the dry, the the bourbon cask. That when I say that, what I what I'm really meaning is the bourbon oak influence. And then right before it fully ends, I get more of that salted, um, you know, that briny peanut brittle, the sweetness. And that's where it finishes for me. It literally reminds me of eating a great piece of peanut brittle. And because of the salts and the other flavors in there, even though you're sucking on a piece of half peanut, half sugar, you know, caramel, um, 
it still ends dry. You want more at the end. And that's how this scotch is for me. It is briny. It is sweet at the front, dry in the back. And it's got great peanut brittle from the nose and the tail, um, but none of that shows in the middle. So it's very complex with layers. Over and all, um, the nose to me, great nose, 26. Um, the palette, again, this was my win. I dig this palette, 29. That's a high score. Um, the finish just a hair later or lower on the finish for me at a 26. So my total was an 89. Nice. Yeah, that's a, uh, I could, you know, here's the thing. I, there's, there's, I could have easily given it some more points, but at the same time, I wasn't really sure because, uh, you know, with the palette, I really enjoyed the palette. So, uh, and, uh, I think from, it sounds like, um, the aroma and the finish, we're pretty close on those two and it's the palette. And that's where, like I was having a hard time scoring it because there's some there's a couple of flavors that in there I wasn't really sure what they were so I just I was a little bit more conservative this time around on yeah. my my scoring but yeah I think 89 what 87 to 89 that's it's, a good range that's a great range um, and as I I'm just now getting to the true finish of this last sip it's not just that peanut brittle it's when you have those freshly roasted peanuts yes and the skin is coming off of them in your mouth so you've had your chance you've eaten the freshly roasted peanut the salt's gone you've got this it's almost it's not really sticky but it's like this residue feeling from the skins of the peanuts and that's what that finish is it's this dry finish that just makes me want more I agree. I love the dry finish. Uh, would I take this to a uh, black tie event? Yeah, I would because I think it. I think it looks nice enough to where you it, it, you wouldn't be ashamed of bringing this. And I think the the taste or the the, the presentation as well as the uh, the palette on this, I think it would hold up to a black tie affair. Uh, would I bring it to a uh, to a poker game? I I would actually bring this to a poker game. And uh, is this something I would have on my shelf? Yes, definitely. I would have this on my shelf. I agree with you on all three accounts. Would I have some of this on my shelf? Yes. When we talk about some of those scotches and, you know, we talk about restaurants and recently restaurants have become a destination. Um, when there are certain scotches that have a, a uniqueness to them that they become a destination, this is one of those for me because it really does make me think of um, old literature and enjoying a dram with a friend when times were more simple um it really makes me think of great expectations literally that's the scene that pops into my head was when pip uh finds his benefactor and is popping open a bottle and, and pouring him a dram and i really do think this would be dynamite for that also there's something i just love uh, about anything nautical so the fact that their equipment and supplies was delivered by boat by seagoing vessel for so long and really only in the last i guess it's now like 60 50 years they've transitioned to using the road there's something i enjoy about that and it's not always you know money does matter 
We can't say it doesn't. We can't say that cost effectiveness doesn't drive a bottom line, especially anytime you go public, you've got to produce a profit for your shareholders. But there is something sexy, uh, whether it be Ferrari or someone else who can nail it and get it to the point where, yeah, we don't make the cheapest cars. And yeah, there are some things we still do by hand, like stitch our very custom leather interiors. And there are some things we've gone automated with. And that means we're not going to have the best price, but you're going to love our product. And I, I think that this is probably an underappreciated product and it's not cheap scotch, but for the price, you are great getting a great value. Yeah. And I know you were talking about a type of book uh, that you would, that you would enjoy this with. I was thinking about like, well, what movie would I enjoy this with? And the first movie that came to mind was the lighthouse. Yes. <laughs> Nautical sea going. It's a little twisted. Just saying, but uh, yeah, absolutely. Drink this watch in the lighthouse and then go out back by the fire pit. Hell yeah. Yeah, it's a great movie. It is twisted, and I think this would go great with it. <laughs> it would. It would. And you know what's weird is after that movie, I'm like, this was not a great movie, but I'm glad I watched it. It's not one of those movies like you were going to find about and might get it together here later. It's not one of those movies where I'm like, I was better off in life not having watched that. Whereas that one, at the end, I'm like, man, I didn't need to see this. But a week later, I'm like... There's actually something phenomenal, and part of it was the actors, and really, like, William Defoe's character I really loved. William Defoe, if you ever want to be on the show, share a dram with us, please uh, give us a call, let us know. We will have you in a heartbeat. We'll even buy you dinner, although we're cheap. So, <laughs> um, William Defoe's character, it's just there's something amazing about that movie. And I also believe, um, you, you know, in Great Expectations, and I'm going to keep going back there, right? Um, at the beginning when Pip is uh, bringing some basic tools and food to the criminal, to the convict, it's that same sort of setting you get in the feeling of the lighthouse where they're outside and there's fog and there's possible rain and the, the waves are crashing. But really what all that is about to me is not about either one independently or both of them together. It's about men or women. And it it's time for our shout outs. All right. Well, my shout out. Um, I'm, you know, this is going to be one of those things where there are few movies that I need to go see multiple times in a the theater and every time it gets better. Um, but there are those rare ones where that happens and my shout out goes to the whole team, but particular because he is the headliner, Keanu Reeves, JW4, John Wick 4. Um, I, I really hope <coughs> not just the little spinoffs they do uh, turn out well, but that they do additional movies, whether it's before the current shows and how did John Wick get out or any of these things. I really hope that they do more just because whether or not you felt like it or you wanted to do it at the time, sometimes doing the same thing might get a little mundane. Um, but nonetheless, the product you guys put out making a three hour, well, two hour, 50, one minute movie feel like it was an hour and a half that's a first that's a feat um they didn't do that in the avengers they haven't done that with any other movie that i've seen anytime recently so awesome job with that P plus you've you've kind of nailed the formula you got the action the adventure um uh, 
great job. So uh, I'll stop there. Otherwise, I'll go all night. But uh, my shout out goes to Quality Productions Entertainment. And in this instance, John McFour. Well, my shout out this week goes to Walmart. Very rarely will I uh, ever <laughs> comment uh, anything positive about Walmart. But in this case, I am because they are closing down all their stores in Chicago and Portland. I wonder why. And yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> because of how like uh, how the situation is there um, with the whole like uh, defund the police and all that stuff and all the uh, the thefts are that are occurring for these uh, for this store for Walmart in particular, and I'm imagining a bunch of other stores. They're finally saying, "Hey, we're fed up with this. We can't uh, continue to do business in a place where people keep robbing us." Um, and there's no repercussions for that. So now we're going to just, we're going to just withdraw all of our stores from the area. And I, I think that's great that they're taking a stand on that and, uh, and doing that. So that's my shout out this week. I agree with you 100%. And it's interesting the, bl- the backlash that's received and where it comes from, but also that there's actually a particular lack of backlash right now. And I'm not saying people and the news and the media aren't complaining and talking crap. I'm not saying that they're not saying Walmart shouldn't be doing this. What I'm saying is 10 years ago, had Walmart done this, um, there it would be a huge deal. And right now, at your point, Walmart's just saying we are literally losing money. More importantly, we are in an unsafe environment for our team members. Now let's look at root causes. Let's just go there real quick. Hmm, what are the areas, you know, I don't know, maybe San Francisco, Chicago, Portland, that defunded the police to an extreme? How do you expect to, you know, the bottom line is the average person does not work to promote exceptional results. The average person uh, works to minimize negative repercussions. In other words, if they don't get in trouble for anything, then they did enough. And that is nothing new. You can call quiet quitting a big deal in the news recently if you want to over the past year. That's nothing new. This stuff's always go on, has always gone on. Um, The difference is when you create an environment or a culture and you have a majority of people who really do work to avoid negative consequences versus the group of people who are like, yeah, I like doing great work. Um, But part of great work is also putting in appropriate time. It's not working 20 hours a day. It's working maybe 10. Um, And with that, it's just very interesting. uh, The biggest piece there for me, defunded the police, defended and, and took away the power of the people Um, but defended the criminals in in the same act. And then they question, how did this happen? Stop asking. You know the answer. Really? Really? Exactly. Um, Get-togethers? Oh, this one is easy, and I won't even beat this one to death, but I will say very quickly, it's also a movie and the opposite of great entertainment, and I don't even know that it was the worst movie ever. It's nothing like that, but it's the fact that it had such a star-studded cast in it for such a 
shit production. <laughs> and what I'm saying here is Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence, you look them up, you go to their wiki pages, maybe even IMBD. One of the movies you won't see on there unless they add it after today is the movie Don't Look up and it is a black comedy uh, a satire uh, a movie about global warming and the ill effects of the presidency's republicans uh famous people uh news also lots of people who were doing nothing to make a change and um yeah guess what there's nothing new there um but really what it sucked was like after the movie i was like i feel less of a man inside after watching this movie the opposite of john wick forward inspired me this movie didn't inspire me to do great things for the environment it literally made me just sad inside and hopeless and i don't think that was their intent but good job if it was <laughs> well if i recall correctly when it first came out on netflix uh it got a lot of really bad uh reviews but i could be wrong i, I that's just what i recall but then again it could just be the sources that I use. Movies like that are why, unless we're doing it for the show or I'm with someone I care about, I don't watch TV and movies. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So my get together is that uh, recently I saw a graph that testicular injuries have increased dramatically in female athletics. <laughs> so and oh, the graph showed wow. from 1900... <laughs> Zero. <laughs> All until like 2021-ish, 2022-ish. Zero. That it was zero. Straight across the board and all of a sudden it spiked up. So my get-together is to those... Uh, where the problem Tran uh, to those uh, people who uh, transition from male to female and to uh, participate in female athletics, get your act together. I mean, we went over like close to like over a century with no testicular injuries in female sports, but now we have them. So get your act together. Yeah, that is pretty sad that they ruined the safety of that in that sport. It is. It's really, it's actually, it's just, it's tragic. The other thing is, it's like, obviously these people do things for attention. They, they really do. It's like, let's face it, they're doing certain things for attention. And this is another way to get attention, I guess, to have an injury. Because otherwise, you've spent all this other money. You can't go buy a $20 protective cup. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> you would think over a, a, a hundred years of women athletics where there's been no injuries, how is it now all of a sudden we have those? Like, <sighs> what, are, what are we doing different now these last couple of years to where there's been such a huge spike, especially in the past you, year? Since nothing else has changed... And women are women and men are men. They're, they're, they just want attention. <laughs> Obviously, the injuries always happen. The other people just didn't need attention. All right. This week's restaurant, the Olive Branch Grill. And this is a fairly new restaurant right at parker and arapahoe road we're talking about the northwest corner uh in the same parking lot as the davidson's liquors right by lots of little restaurants and other shops um, and it was if you don't know it's there or you haven't heard of it you're probably going to drive by it and miss it because it doesn't get it doesn't receive great exposure yeah it's not really noticeable right there uh 
off the road because it's like uh, the way Parker Road is, uh, it sits off in that area out to the side with a ramp. So you don't really you can't. It's not like an easy pull off like it used to be like years and years and years and years ago. It was like in the 90s where like there was a stoplight right there where you could actually like look to the right and see all that stuff uh, and turn there if you wanted to. Now there's like a it's an off ramp with an, with an overpass. And then on top of that, concrete wall to protect people from running into the buildings. (laughs) (laughs) And then on on Arapahoe Road, because it sits behind like a bunch of other uh, uh, buildings like Les Schwab and uh, Kane's Chickens and uh, Starbucks and all that, it sits behind that. You're not going to see it off of Arapahoe Road either. So you're exactly right. The the eye exposure. is not is not very high there. In fact, you you kind of have to know about it, its existence even to show up there. But I did find it to be a pleasant surprise. So for me, when uh, once arriving there, the only reason why I knew about the place is because I actually have taken my car to the Lush Schwab over there to get new tires, and, and we've been to Davidson's a few times. So what? What? we went there to get scotch. <laughs> Uh, so being that we'd driven by there a couple times, we had seen it, uh, I guess the building as they were building it basically, cause they already had the name up there, but it hadn't been open yet. But recently, uh, it had opened up. So, uh, we went there to go try it out. Uh, the parking there is fine, but once again, unless you're looking for it, you're probably not going to find it. Um, and then when you walk in. The it looks really nice and presentable on the inside. They have a nice patio on the uh, on the uh, facing towards the west, where you can see basically like tree line going across the uh, the metropolitan area to where you can see some of the, uh, like the mountains in the far distance. It's probably not the best uh, view that you could get of the mountains or anything like that, but it's a nice view, especially I think if it's on a clear day. Uh, and you're catching it like around uh, sunset time, around dusk. I think it would be kind of a nice place to have dinner at. Um, the uh, the happy hour is from fourth, I think four thirty to six thirty or or three thirty to six thirty, and uh, they give you a dollar off on all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Appetizers. Yeah. Appetizers are like basically $10 each. Uh, house wine is six. Non house wine is seven. Uh, what, what was the, uh, the drinks? The, oh yeah. The mixed drinks, seven bucks, seven bucks. And then all the appetizers were $10, which is about like a dollar 99 off. Um, this place is a med- It's like Italian and Mediterranean. Uh, so I buy, we bypass the appetizer. Um, Probably not the best idea. We probably should have gotten an appetizer <laughs> to share. Um, but I, when we did order, I ordered my meal. I got the uh, Alfred, Ling, Linguini Alfredo or Alfredo Linguini. I don't know. Fettuccine Alfredo? Fetter, yeah, Fettuccine Alfredo. Yeah, that uh, with shrimp. Uh, the sauce was phenomenal. It was great. Uh, the little rolls that they came out, those were tasty. I, I when I first saw them, like oh, rolls, like really, uh, but like with the uh, kind of like the uh, olive, uh, th- yeah, that was great. I think it tasted it tasted well. And then um, I ordered for dessert the uh, lemon cello cake. That had a nice flavor. They they sprinkled some cinnamon on it, which I actually gave it a nice like additional flavor to it, which I really enjoyed. Um, the one thing I have to say though about 
uh, my fettuccine Alfredo sauce uh, or the that dish is that it wasn't very big. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> I mean, it, luckily, like I wasn't super hungry, but um, when you go to like most places, it seems like the like the serving portion that they give you is slightly bit larger than they do here. So it is. Uh, it probably would be wise to either order an appetizer or maybe get a, a, a dinner salad to go along with the meal. And here, is, what I don't like is that they don't give you a dinner salad with your with your dish. Um, I think a lot of like some a lot of like Italian places I do enjoy going to, it, it comes with a uh, dinner salad with your pasta. You know, so you get the dinner salad and your pasta, which I really do enjoy. Um, but here they don't do that. Um, so the flavor of the food, the food itself, I really did like and did enjoy it. Um, I actually give that a nine. The value of it is not really that great of a value, I don't think. Um, the waitstaff, I think they did a great job. Um, he kept coming by. He was very attentive to our needs. Uh, I give that a nine. The decor, we hung out outside. I actually enjoyed the uh, outside patio. Um, I'm going to give that an eight because I didn't really hang out inside, so I can't really like say how the inside was like, but it looked like it was nice and clean and uh, had like good lighting and seating and the decor looked nice in there, so I'll give that an eight. Uh, would I take a first date there? Yeah, I can see taking a first date there. Uh, would I meet friends there? Probably not. Unless it's like for an event, like a like a birthday or an anniversary or something like that, then yeah, I can see meeting some friends there. Is it a destination spot? Uh, no, it's not a destination. Um, it, it's it's in that middle tier that we've talked about, where it's not fast food, it's not uh, fine dining, it's somewhere in between. I think it wants to be fine dining, but I don't think it quite meets the bill of fine fine dining. So uh, overall. I'm going to give it, uh, I'm going to say eight, an 8.5 overall. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's honestly, that's a really good score. And it's interesting because going to this restaurant, driving up, I'm like, okay, question mark. This reminds me of a lot of the little restaurants and they nail one thing typically. And like the little Greek restaurant, they nail the food. And then the rest of it kind of leaves us wanting. And this was still in line with that. The biggest difference, as you mentioned, to get to fine dining, there's a couple other pieces you really have to tune in. Um, and, and they've got the food piece down. And it's just a matter of tweaking the rest. So for me, I'm actually going to go in reverse order of some of the things you said, because I, I really want to start there. You mentioned, would I meet a friend there? And the answer was no. And it's interesting because that's the first thing I thought, um, along with, is it a destination? No. Um, and why I'm starting here is because these are negatives and there's a lot of positives. But starting here with the negatives, it's not a destination. Would I meet a friend there? No. But the same thing came true. It's like, would I go and take a date there? And if I was going for a specific dish where I'm like, hey, you're in the mood for this, I got the place, this I might do. Would it be my natural inclination to go here? No. There's, I, dude, Maggiano still has them beat, even though I will say, I think that the dishes here are better, the experience 
at Maggiano's in Denver Tech Center still has it beat. So with that, um, would I would I take a date there? Not unless I'm going for the dishes I got. In case, in which case, yeah, I would if somebody wanted calamari or the lobster ravioli, both for me. A 10. Now, as Noah mentioned, and now I'll jump back to the beginning and work my way towards the end, uh, we did not originally start with an appetizer because the last time we went out, we did, and then we were so dang stuffed by the end, we were like, why did we do this to ourselves? Well, this time we went straight to dishes. Mine was the lobster ravioli, and as I mentioned, it was a 10. They do have Maggiano's beat with this dish. Um, the ravioli was amazing, the value is only 20 bucks was very good um the supply the quantity the size of the portion is where if i if i'd had an appetizer it wouldn't have even come into question but because i had not i'm like yeah this is probably not going to be enough food i'm going to need to eat something else so with that i did move from the lobster ravioli to one of my staples which is the calamari now, this is tough. How do you give calamari a 10 when you've had calamari at places like the Barolo Grill and Elway's? And they are a 10 for different reasons. Um, but this one, you're really just rating the calamari. Well, first of all, the damn calamari appetizer was bigger than my dinner dish. The price, 10 bucks, unbeatable. Um, the calamari was perfectly fried, crisp, clean, um, not chewy at all, tender, and it came with its own side salad on the plate. Like, I really should have started there um, because by the time I was done with that, I was full, not stuffed still, but full. And that was, uh, again, a 10 for me for the, the, the delivery for a middle-range restaurant. Now, I would expect more. If that was the dish they gave me at Elway's or at the Barolo Grill, it would not get a 10. It would get a 7 at best because I expect more from them they get the peppers and lots of other extras with their fried calamari that i do expect when i'm paying twice or three times as much um but when i'm paying twice or three times as much in one of those places i don't even think about it because their cal calamari is also a 10 now ultimately comparing them all man elway's rollo grill you got this place beat but this place did well for what they were working with. Again, the salad for the food for me, a 10, 20 bucks for lobster ravioli, 10 bucks for fried calamari. Everything's a 10. Here's where they lose a little steam on the inside. We did not see sit inside. Not impressive from what I saw. Um, just a quick look though. I really wasn't impressed with that. The outside pretty nice nothing outstanding the biggest piece was man they their their slot their lot of land is literally feet and i mean a couple of them away from the road where no one can seem to follow the lanes and stay in their lane driving by but i do appreciate the fact that we got some good entertainment and watched one of their patio umbrellas take off like a kite while we were eating dinner that was good uh, but so for me the environment was really the biggest opportunity um it's easy it's easy fixes though but currently as they just opened again a seven um service solid nine our waiter was great um, it's just not that level of service that i need to give it a 10 um, the value ultimately it was an eight but that become it comes down to the drink 
I had was the only letdown. And I'm guessing they do not have a legitimate bartender or don't drink themselves or something else may go on. Um, but the old fashioned I was served, man, when it first came, it smelled like fresh squeezed oranges and great bourbon. And by the time I was on my third sip, I'm like, where I got water and orange pulp. So that was their one opportunity. Overall, for me, an eight. Um, and really the bottom line here as we get to the end of these things too, is it a destination? Am I telling you to go to this place if you're in that neck of the woods and you've got one restaurant to go to visiting friends or family or having friends and family visit? No, do not go there for that. There are lots of other Italian restaurants on Parker Road, not terribly far, which will best what you will get from a destination experience. This week's Smarter Challenge was for us to listen to uh, <clears throat> some creepypasta or read some cre uh, creepypasta um, pieces of work. And for those of you who don't know what creepypasta is, that it's essentially uh, internet horror stories passed around on forums and other sites to disturb and frighten readers. The name creepypasta comes from the word copy copy pasta. So basically people were just copy and pasting these stories into different format uh, forms. And uh, basically the uh, there's three basic types uh, which is the lost episode types where uh, on this TV series here that we found out there's this one episode that did blah, 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 blah. But apparently that's uh, too cliche now. You don't really see that anymore in this, uh, in, in this area of uh, literature. Uh, the next one is like rituals. Uh, it's a list of instructions for the reader claiming that if they go to a certain place at a certain time, or perform certain actions, something remarkable and or horrifying will happen. And they got the antidotes, uh, which the narrator remarks about a scary legend, uh, news story, or event. Um, did I miss anything there on the history or what creepypasta really is? Uh, you know, the big, the one other thing that I had seen about the history uh, when you talked about its origins, starting all the way back in the 1990s, and some of our viewers, you know, I had to get this data from my grandpa, so I'm only hearing the second hand. <laughs> I just barely turned 21 myself. But some of our viewers may not also understand <laughs> what it was like in the 1990s. We're talking, you've got mail. And um, you weren't getting text messages or links or things on your iPhone or your Android. You were getting email from AOL online and literally where the basics started from in again early 1990s is people would text a comment or story to another person say if you don't forward this to 10 additional people then you're gonna burn in hell and die or die and burn in hell <laughs> i don't know which one would be worse <laughs> but with that it was this link where then they they adapted and they grew and they started giving more and more complicated and advanced stories and sending them and forwarding them and going that route um but it is it's it's an interesting history, you know, from what I heard from my grandpa again, is if you had lived through it, it's interesting to see how it's transitioned to modern day, man, there is no, like if people wanted to terrorize you nowadays, there's no holds barred. 
Yeah, and so like nowadays, like it's like on you can find like stuff on YouTube. Uh, there's like different websites that house all these different types of stories, and it's really become like its own little niche uh, of like uh, of like of the horror genre. Of uh, and I think it's also a great place for people to create their own horror stories and upload them and have other people either comment uh, on them or uh, if they're good enough to like other other people will read them on their YouTube channels and stuff like that. So it's come a long way. From- yeah, I, I agree. I think, you know, with your questions that you proposed about this, what do I like or see that is enjoyable about this? I actually love the prospect of viewers, readers, students, writers, kids, adults, um, getting an opportunity to first, they have the option, they can be a writer and they can write a story and then they can choose, do they read their own story or not? Um, and then someone else can choose, do I read somebody else's story? But then there's the the coup de grace, if you will, which is I'm going to write my own story and I want to read it as I envisioned it because I think there's something magical about that. It's almost, uh, I would imagine, you know, if I was Stephen King, for example, and I had a short story and I wrote it and then I had somebody else read it to me and I had recently read it to the point where I can still hear my own voice writing it down or typing it up, uh, printing it out with that to hear somebody else's voice tell it where the focus and the the emphasis is put is in the wrong places would kill me but when you write your own story and you you get a chance to read it online you get a chance to put it out there first and really say hey this is what i wanted and i love i love the prospect of that i think that is great so i think it's a great media um, opportunity for people just to really express themselves because not everyone who will write a story and, and read it on creepypastas is going to become the next Stephen King, but you never know who just might become the next Neil Gaiman. And that's not a dig at Neil Gaiman. I just realized that could come out that way, <laughs> but you know, they might be the next great writer. Well, here's another thing too. Like you look at all these different stories on here. Uh, at least like I, I mainly just like looked at like YouTube uh, they have like uh, you know like all the different stories that these people read. So some of these people have like huge channels that have gone back like seven years, and they've like and all they do is they read other people's work. Right. But uh, the nice the some of the cool parts I like about it is a I like some of the pictures that they have that go along with the uh, with the title, and I love I love the title. Some of these titles are very. Uh, creative and intriguing and i read them like "Ooh, that sounds like a cool title uh you know and you see the picture goes along with it i'm like yeah i want to listen to that one um and i think because of this uh medium uh for people to share uh or write or express kind of like as you're talking about is that i think it allows for maybe even like people in hollywood to maybe come across one of these short stories and actually uh expand upon it and actually make a a film maybe one day out of one of these or do something kind of like uh like the tales of the crypt type of thing uh or you know twilight zone where you have a bunch of like mini episodes that you could create off of these i imagine a lot of this started because of tales of the crypt but i agree with you i just hope people weren't stealing other people's work and then making millions of dollars that's just yeah that that it's real it happens yeah it does happen but it's sad So, uh, with that, uh, with your experience of searching for, uh, 
uh, some of these stories? Like, what did you kind of experience as you're searching for? So much like yourself, at first I searched creepypasta and it came up with some different channels, if you will. And then I got, you know, I was like, okay, here's what I know. Love it, like it, hate it or not. YouTube is usually pretty easy and they've won some of the battles for that. So I chose YouTube and then I picked a couple. Um, and when I was picking a couple, I agree with you. Like it was interesting to see the artwork. Um, it was more interesting to find out that some are just audio and there are videos out there too. There are people who do short movies and stuff. And I thought that also was sweet as hell. Like, yeah, like good for you guys. And also again, like thinking about it, Creepypasta ultimately is out there to make money. I didn't see a single one where I didn't have to watch three plus ads. <laughs> oh, yeah. I guess that's where it's a little bit different for me. I don't, I don't pay. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, because I, I, you know, for the podcast uh, and uploading all that stuff, I uh, we, have a subscription. We do actually have a subscription. I should probably put you on that subscription so that way you have it. Or not, because it was an interesting experience. Like, I don't want to watch any of these damn ads. This this is BS. And skip. <laughs> a second, you got 15, 14, 13. I'm not listening to the guy reading on the ad when it's counting down from 15 seconds down, just so anyone who's paying for these ads knows. Like I am counting down verbally out loud, not listening to the ad till it hits zero. And then I am like, play, yes, I did it. Let's go on to the next step. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, after this, remind me, and I'll, uh, I'll send you the link so that way you can have the, uh, the non-ad uh, I, I, I think it's great to have both aspects, though. I mean it like if you're just a regular viewer, just realize you might have to skip some, some shitty ads. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so... Like, uh, so for me, I first came across, uh, like, these creepypasta kind of forums on YouTube. You're right. YouTube has won the war there pretty much. Um, I think Rumble's getting better, um, but not necessarily it's the same kind of platform as uh, YouTube as of yet. But um, back, uh, I think it was in uh, twenty late 2018, early 2019, um, I uh, was doing some... Uh, some uh, lift driving. I was driving as a lift person. And so in order for me to keep myself entertained, um, I would listen to something in an ear. I always listen to something on YouTube uh, in my earbud. And so I came across some of these, uh, these creepypasta stories. And it actually is because it, it was automatically playing. Uh, so like you just went on to a story and you know how that goes when you have like the automatic play thing go and it just brings up things that might be in a genre that you've listened to. Uh, and so it came across one of these creepypasta stories and that's how I kind of found out about it. Um, one of the channels I kind of liked uh, during that time frame uh, was from Mr. Creeps. Uh, there's another one, Mr. Creepy Pasta. I think it was called, there's like another one called that. But Mr. Creeps is who I typically listen to uh, back then. And um, I guess uh, from that's how I kind of discovered them. And I agree. I think YouTube is the easiest place to do it. Some of these stories, they range anywhere from like 12 minutes. Uh, there's a couple of them that go like an hour and a half to two hours. So, you know, it just depends on. The, I saw a couple that were almost four hours long. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there are some that have like, uh, yeah, they're where they do like the best subs and stuff like that. They're like four or five hours long. And then I don't know if it's one particular story that goes four hours. But if it is, that'd be like huge. Um, any case, uh, were there any stories that you particularly liked that you listened to? 
All right. So I have one in particular that I didn't like and one in particular that I did like. But at the same time, both of them left me wanting. Now, that can be okay if that is the author or reader's intent. Um, so, you know, when you, you mentioned... What do I think overall? Overall, I didn't find any stories where I'm like, man, this makes this, I'm hooked. I need to keep watching this. Um, but there were, you know, some things I did enjoy. So two, two of the stories, um, the worst and the best, if you will, that I listened to, uh, the worst. Undulating Flesh, um, a shorter one where as I'm listening to it, and I'll get back to listening to it in the car in just a second, this guy's just a pill popper, and it sounds like he's got anxiety problems or something else or a drug addiction he's trying to get over or something else. I'm guessing uh, anxiety. And he's popping these pills, and all he has to do is do his goddamn laundry. <laughs> so he's popping pills and doing laundry? No, he's not popping any pills. Here's where it gets. He's a pill popper, but he's not popping any pills because he's lost his goddamn pills. He <laughs> lost them. So all he's talking about is, man, everything should be okay. I need to go do my laundry. He finally makes it to the laundromat, and he keeps talking about how he lost his pills. And he, he's like dropping the F-bomb left and right, and he's like, fuck, how did I fuck up so bad? <laughs> like, literally, he's saying that all the time in the show. And I think it does add to a prospect or a, a perspective of he's mature, but he's also not worried about, you know, he, he's probably saying this out loud, quite frankly, but he's not worried about the impact he's having on others. He finally makes it to the laundromat. When he first gets there, it's empty. And then all of a sudden, people start showing up, and they've got all these different kids and this and that and the other. And he's talking about how um, things are just getting crazy and then towards the end again he doesn't have his pills and he's trying to call his doctor and then after it's the eighth or ninth time he's trying to call his doctor and he's like it's sunday the doctor's office is closed and i'm just like really <laughs> really <laughs> like there's a bigger problem than you've got anxiety or something if you're just now realizing that your doctor's office is closed after you've been calling them all day and all you had to do for the day was laundry. So it pretty much ends with him looking in the, the, the washer and dryer and he's watching clothes go around and then it changes from clothes to he just sees a human body like rotating around and then the washer's going and there's this thudding. And he did a good job reading that piece where I'm like yeah if there was a body in a washer got to be a pretty damn small body by the way the washing machine would absolutely be off center right bam 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 um so there were things that were good but at the end of the day that's how it ends and i'm like what was really the point like maybe people who have anxiety can absolutely 100 percent understand this for me i'm not saying i don't get anxious and i don't i'm not saying i don't have anxiety but for me i was just like well why this is this is why Again, unless I'm with a friend or a family member or someone that I care for, I don't do these things typically. I don't I, even in my car. Um, and you mentioned that piece there too. I have found for myself listening to anything. Um, it, it's no different than reading or watching a movie. I want to give minimum ninety nine percent attention to that. I always give one percent to the people that I'm with. Um, the friends and families that I love, or more. But at the end of the day, typically I am so invested in, wow, look at Keanu Reeves. Looks like he's literally sweating through his 
this jacket. Um, I'm looking at these things, giving uh, my attention to the details that these people who are spending hundreds of millions of dollars doing a production in this case um, are going through so that I'm not missing something. And in this instance, like it was no different. They're not spending hundreds of millions of dollars, I hope. But <laughs> you never know. Maybe Biden's putting it on, um, in which case he probably spent two billion that he could have sent to Ukraine <laughs> or to the students. Who knows? But with that, there's this. Um, I just don't like listening to things when I'm driving. Now, why I say that isn't about the, the entertainment at all. It's because when I'm driving, except for the one-offs. I like to be able to attend, uh, give my attention 100% to driving. And so with that, it's very hard for me to, like people are always like, oh, just listen to the audiobook." And I'm like, you don't understand. When I'm driving, it's an experience for me. And there are times when, yeah, I'm driving and I might be listening to a song I don't have to listen to because I've already heard it a hundred times and I already know the words. And then there are other times when I'm not listening because I'm like, yeah, we're going to take this corner like a chicane, <laughs> right? Um, but with that, that was my negative. My win was uh, don't let it in. And at the same time, I want to tell you right now, it did leave me wanting at the end. starts with a young man who's talking about his friend who was roughly 12 years old uh, or who he grew up with. And then when his friend got to be 12 years old, got leukemia, died at 14, hadn't seen any of the friends or family since, but was remembering way back when his uncle, his friend's uncle told a story about there was this thing at this window one time when he was stationed here and there and doing all these different things. And he, he was like, hey man, if you ever get in a spot, don't let it in because there are certain creatures that have to follow certain rules. And if you find one of these creatures, it can't tell the truth. It has to lie to you. And everything it says has to be a lie. And then also don't let it in because it needs you to invite it in or it can't come in. So immediately I'm like, okay, stealing one of the key factors from a vampire right off the bat, whatever. Next. And the other piece, though, was this story he goes through and then he's older and he's driving and he runs off the road. And this boy comes to his window and puts his little hand up on the glass. He's like, please let me in. I'm freezing. I'm going to die. And he's like, I can't let this in. This can't be happening. And he's like, did my, you know, the end of the story is, you know, the story you heard when he was a kid probably saved his life because he starts to ask this kid questions and he's like, uh, are you a boy? And if the thing has to lie and it's looks like a boy, but it's not a boy, it has to say yes. And as soon as the boy's like, yeah. Yeah. Yes, I am. He's like, oh, that question doesn't work. And then he asks the next question. He's like, wait a minute. That question could be answered yes or no and still be true or false. And then he asks the third question and the thing just gets creepy and has this huge smile and disappears. <laughs> so that one I did kind of enjoy because at least it had a point. But at the end, I'm like, so then the tow truck comes and gets you out of the ice and you just move on about your life. Like, that's where I'm like, Duh, no, I don't. That's where you lost me. Other, up until then, I'm like, this, this could be good. And then I'm like, all right, I'm ready for some lobster ravioli. <laughs> all right, so uh, I'll keep mine to two. I listened to three, but I'll keep mine to two like yours. Mention all three if you want. So the one I, I probably like, uh, I didn't like as much, I guess, um, was uh, I was a prison, I was a prison guard at a secret facility where nightmares become real. Now, 
I, I thought the title seemed intriguing. I'm like, okay, this sounds like it would be a good one. It's about 45 minutes long. So apparently they don't see what happens to the main character other than the main character knows that they're going to jail and it was trying to figure out like how they're going to get out of going to jail. And then they're told like, uh, you're already convicted. You are going to prison. So when in the main character goes to find out what his sentence is, then he was given a choice. You can either go to prison or you can go to this secret facility uh, I, which is an island, and you can become a prison guard there. It's Isla. You're guarding Wunahaven. <laughs> so the guy goes, "Well, I don't want to be a prisoner. I'm going to go be a prison guard." So he goes to the, to this island to go be a, uh, become a prison guard. And like you, these uh, some of these stories kind of leave you wanting, or kind of like maybe there's just not enough uh, context there to like to make the story as meaningful as it could be. So while he's there, at first it talks about like how he arrives there and how he's supposed to like bring in the supplies. Then he gets introduced to the, like the main, uh, the main security guard and the main security guards. Like, I don't care if you live or die. I don't care about any of these things. Uh, but you just gotta follow the rules. If you don't follow the rules, I don't, you know, you can die. I don't care. So, any case, the guy like he, on the first day of the job, you know, he see he does all of his work. The next day, he wakes up and he's doing some work again. Then he sees on a monitor on a monitor of this lady who is um, doing something with a person, and the person like that looks like the person dies, and then it, like the arm moves a little bit and twitches, but then doesn't do anything, and so. Also, he goes and delivers lunch or food to all these all these other prisoners, and he notices that these prisoners don't move. They're like they have their head down. They don't have like any personalities, and he says like it, it, it's as if life was beaten out of them. So, at his lunchtime, he they were is, married. <laughs> at his lunchtime, <laughs> he actually meets with the scientist lady that he saw on the monitor and, and finds her very attractive. And basically, this is where I have my biggest problem with this story: is that all of a sudden he's like in love with her, and he loves her. He loves at first sight; it's real. And I, I think it just kind of went a little bit too far in that part there. But in any case, he finds out that the lady has a sick sister. And uh, she's working there in order to come up with a drug or something to um, help out her sister. So that way she's no longer um, sick. But in the meantime, while she's doing all this work, she's trying to help out the U.S. government in this program. And this program is all about creating zombie soldiers. And so basically ends up like uh, she ends up doing something, but she tells him that she doesn't have much time to live herself. And I think that's the main reason why she's trying to really like find the, uh, how to make someone live, uh, but not necessarily be a zombie. Any case, she ends up becoming a zombie herself. And then he is, he escapes type of thing. Um, it was kind of like, eh, it seemed like it'd be interesting, but like the whole like love story and then her like, just is like, it just kind of went, Build up, build up, build up, and then cop out, finish. Is kind of like what I got out of it. The other story, which I really did like, was that it's called uh, I'm an oil-filled worker in Barron, Ohio, <laughs> and we're under attack. So here, 
this one, this guy, he, he like he grew up in a really bad home. Uh, his, uh, his his dad beat him. I forget his. I think his mom died of an overdose or something like that. But in any case, he uh, as he was growing up, he learned to he learned to become a mechanic. He uh, basically built his truck or he found like an old Ford F one fifty and uh, and worked on it to where it was serviceable for him. And basically, he just traveled from place to place to place to place to place, basically like living in a van type of thing. But using a Ford F-150. Anyways, he's in Ohio now, and uh, he ends up getting an oil field job. And one night on the way driving back, um, he's taking this road, which is like in the countryside, and uh, the road's closed. And it's like these paramilitary people. And they said like, oh, yeah, this is going to be shut down for like three days or whatever. And he was like, oh. And so he asked the, the guard a couple other questions and then turns turns around. But he finds another way to get back into this into this area and this area is like a wilderness preserve area that he would have to drive through but um in order for him to get home from the oil fields Sasquatch territory so anyways he goes back he finds another route into this uh into this area and he has a, a walkie-talkie from the from the oil field excuse me from the oil fields that he took with them and as he's going through this back road that wasn't blocked off he starts hearing like chatter from like these paramilitary people about like um trying to stop these creatures and uh and how like people are getting shot and killed and everything like that so as he's coming down this road eventually he sees a white another truck coming towards him and then he basically gets uh, run off the road and his car our truck starts tumbling down and he gets attacked by one of these animals, but he's able to get saved by the, this other group. And then they bring him back. And then, uh, basically it's all about them surviving the nights. Uh, he gets introduced to another member of, of this, like uh paramilitary military party. And they are shooting these, like, I don't know what kind of monsters they were, but there's some kind of monsters, animal monsters or whatever. Uh, he ends up surviving the night, but, it, but he ends up finding out though, as they were fighting, and his group was fighting these monsters, is that the sheriff from the local town and his deputies were actually like pushing these monsters towards these paramilitary people. So basically, is the paramilitary people from the nature reserve area versus the uh, the deputies and the sheriff who are utilizing these monsters to attack the paramilitary people? Um, but uh, basically, he ends up because of him surviving the night. It's almost as if he's now basically he's going to become a part of this group defending whatever it is to get rid of these monsters. Uh, it was actually a pretty entertaining story. Um, it had a little bit of a point to it other than the other one, which to me didn't really have a point. <laughs> but I found it enjoyable. Uh, the other one, the third one that I listened to is called uh, My Brother Died uh, Three Weeks Ago, and today I found a note in his bedroom. This one was a bunch of nonsense for an hour and 20 minutes. And then the last 10 minutes, you find out, like, these kids start going missing, and they're in some old, like, uh, bombshell, an old uh, bomb bomb bunker, bombshell bunker, and uh, they're, they're being haunted by some kind of spirit or something. I don't know. It was kind of dumb. I actually, like, many times zoned out and did other things. 
couldn't hold my attention. <laughs> that, that's my struggle when I'm driving is there's <laughs> always something that's more interesting. Oh, look, there's a Lamborghini. Wait, where am I with this story? <laughs> All right, so that's uh, but uh, like I said, I thought the one in Ohio, the, the oil field worker in Ohio, I thought that was entertaining. Um, any final thoughts about creepypasta? Again, I'm just going to go back to I love the prospect, the potential, the opportunity it does give to individuals who want to write and share or read and share or do both and who are willing to put themselves out there. It's also very protected in some ways because, yeah, you're gonna, probably going to use your name. may or may not be your real name when you post it. Um, and, yes, Creepypasta is going to go through and make sure you're not posting stuff they don't approve. But, and they're ultimately making royalties. You're probably not until you get to a certain point. No lot more, no different. It's like a Ponzi scheme, you know, a pyramid scheme where they're like, well, YouTube's going to take 50% of our stuff anyway, but we'll take 50% of yours. So we're still making 25 somewhere. <laughs> 25 of yours and 50 of ours and uh it, you know it's it's interesting but i do love the prospect the opportunity it does give people to put themselves out there i think that's great in the sense of they don't have to do all the setup work and you know i, I look back at even our show and all the setup work that it took people will never understand and as things continue to evolve and change they won't understand what it meant to set up a show and go buy cameras and uh audio and computers and uh storage and how much storage it takes for all this video and all the different terabytes you've had to go out and buy multiple times and it's interesting um, that this kind of helps them go without spending 20 grand to go and start something. <laughs> um, I would first say, like, if you are a fan of the horror genre, um, I think this is a good avenue to, like, listen to, like, other people's creative works in, the, in this kind of, like, horror field. It is, uh, I, I've... I find that it could be entertaining and I, and like you, I like the prospect of how it does make it, uh, available for people to showcase their creativity. Um, I, I do hope that it continues to flourish and get better over time for those people who, uh, decide to write these stories. Um, and in some cases, I think for some of the people who uh, are just uh, the readers there on YouTube and stuff like that, um, hopefully they find their prosperity doing this as well. Some of them have really good voices in order to to read these. Some of them, though, I, I don't know if their voices really are meant to, to read these types of horror stories. But in any case, uh, I think if you find a good story out there, let us, let, uh, let at least let me know. I don't know about Jesse, but let me know. And I'd be more than happy to listen. If you know of any good creepy passes, uh, available out there. Uh, overall, I think it's, it's a worthwhile venture to, if you like, like I said, if you like horror to like, kind of listen to a few of these every once in a while, when you have no down, like we have some downtime and nothing really pressing, it might be something to listen to. But once again, it's, I only recommend that if you're a horror fan, really. All right. Um, next week's next week's Scotch and Smarter Challenge. Next week's Scotch is the Tomatin Kubukan. Um, Cobra Kai, Cobra Kai. <laughs> strike car, strike fast. No mercy. Ah, uh, the Kubukan, the uh, Highland Single Malt Scotch from the Tomatin Distillery. We are. 
interested and eager to try this one out. We won't quite break it out of the box just yet, but it does have a striking eye-catching box. We have literally seen this at the distillery, not the distillery, not the distillery, the liquor <laughs> store at Davidson's or somewhere uh, multiple times and thought we'd already had a tomato and um, scotches, and it turns out that that was all at uh, scotch tastings elsewhere, never in-house. So now we're going uh, big stream here with this, and with the creepy pasta and all of the things it has brought it has really intrigued me to do the smarter challenge of watching the tv series the last of us and reporting on what is it that does or doesn't make this show great what is it about the relationships so what is great about the show what is it about the relationships in the show that do or do not make it great and i think that's probably a little bit of the cue for me is uh i'm guessing relationships whether i'm watching john wick and it's uh john wick and winston or others relationships always matter and then also um how did you feel about the science behind this particular version of zombies and uh, do you want more of The Last of Us? Started as a video game, went to a TV show. We're talking about the video show that we're going to be reviewing here. Um, and we'll have some interesting tales there. All right. Well, with that, it should be a fun topic. Uh, I look forward to trying this scotch. I like the box already. Dude, the box. Color is cool. Makes me want a tattoo. <laughs> Uh, with that, uh, once again, thank you for everyone who, who uh, spent the time to watch us and listen to us. We greatly appreciate you. Please, if you like our content, please like, share, and subscribe. We are trying to get up to a thousand subscribers on YouTube. So even if you only listen to us one time, please hit that subscribe button. We greatly appreciate it. Leave any comments below. We would love to hear any of your thoughts about uh, about our show. Any like ideas for new topics to talk about. Uh, things like that and uh, once again if you want to become a patron member it's in the comments below take that first link and uh, all the money that we get for that goes right back into our show so with that I'll Jesse close us out all right so remember please 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 drink responsibly and what I mean by that is don't drink and drive <laughs> Um, life is great. Um, life is also short. So do make sure you're making the most of yours. Not always easy. Um, so make sure you're talking and sharing experiences um, with yourself and with friends and family and enjoying the most of life. Um, if you do want to, especially if you know us, either one of us and will be on the show, please reach out. Or if you don't know us and you know and you've watched our episodes, you know, you might see an occasional F-bomb or some other things and want to be on the show. Let us know that too. We just don't want any surprises. <laughs> so with that, we look forward to seeing you guys next week. Remember, like, share, most importantly, subscribe. Um, and until next week. Scotchman! Cheers. We hope you enjoyed this evening's episode of Scotch Hour. If you did, please like, share, and subscribe. Also, if you have not done so already, please become a patron member with memberships starting as low as $1 a month. Thank you, and hopefully you have a wonderful evening.